one of the challenges that I had early on was embracing my inexperience. As a second career designer, there's always this worry or thought that you don't have the experience necessary to be amazing in the industry. But I had to lean into what I was great at and like really make that my competitive advantage. Hi, I'm Caitlin Peterson, the Editor-in-Chief of Business of Home. Welcome to Trade Tales. In every episode, I'll be talking to interior designers about nurturing creativity, finding their firm's financial footing, setting goals, and finding their own version of success as a result. My guest today is a designer who made a mid-career switch from the corporate world to interior design. She explains how she laid the groundwork for the big leap, and her measured approach is a masterclass in successfully pivoting into a full-time design career. On a personal note, I want to dedicate this episode to the woman who came to the Future of Home conference in September and told me that this show had given her the courage to start planning how she was going to quit her day job and become a designer. The show is for you and for everyone out there who's nurturing that dream. I can't think of a better way to kickstart the show in 2022, and I can't wait to share it with you. But first, a quick message from all of us here at Business of Home. You're here because you love hearing from designers about what makes their businesses tick. So let me point you in the direction of more great resources. To keep up with the latest design industry news, browse job openings at some of the top firms across the country, get practical and actionable guidance from our advice columnist, and find out more about what other designers are up to, check out Business of Home's daily and weekly newsletters. And stay on top of the coolest product releases, of-the-moment trends, and buzzy ideas in design with the tear sheet our new newsletter dedicated to product, discovery, inspiration, and craft. All of our newsletters are free of charge, so head over to businessofhome.com newsletter to sign up today. That's businessofhome.com newsletter. Thanks again for listening to Trade Tales. Let's get back to the show. I'm not quite sure what class this was or why a fourth or fifth grader would have this assignment, but I visually remember having an assignment that required us to do a floor plan for a living room. And I'm sure the floor plan was squares and circles and was it to scale or not? Who knows? But I do recall perhaps the feeling from that project or that assignment. That was my first like introduction to the world of interior design. It's always been there, followed me throughout college, throughout my adult life. That's Rashida Gray. By the time she realized that there was a career path for design, she was already well on her way to finding success in another field. I actually landed in the exciting world of insurance. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I was a, a marketer um, for insurance companies like State Farm, Progressive, uh, Chubb Insurance, and creativity was pretty limited. But I would consider myself to be um, a healthy mix of a left and right brain person. And so I did enjoy the business side of it. It kind of came to a head as I entered a new decade of life. You know, I turned 30 so many years ago and had children. And um, at the time I was assistant vice president of marketing and communications and on the national scale, even with all of that, like 
surface success, I still questioned purpose and why and, you know, if I was doing the right thing. Answers to those questions came out of the blue when a real estate agent suggested that Rashida stage her home before putting it on the market. It set her on course for a new career. I did a bit of Googling to figure out what is staging and followed whatever Google and YouTube University taught me at that time in like the two minute read that I did. And so the real estate agent came back a few weeks later. The staging was complete. And she's like, wow, what did you do? It looks amazing. Long story short, we sold our house in three hours. And (laughs) like literally the first person who saw it brought it. And it was a tough real estate market too. So that was like the first like light bulb that went off for me. Like, oh, not only do I enjoy it, but maybe... I could be good at it. And so, um, you know, we sold that house. We brought the next house. And my husband's really handy. He's actually one. He's the general contractor. We wanted a fixer-upper for this third home. And I took two weeks of vacation off from my corporate job and laid floors, painted, made some selections for the bathroom and kitchen renovations for the contractor we hired at that time and enjoyed every second of it. So, you know, when you take time off from work, vacation time to do more work, it must be something really special. So that was kind of my aha moment with interior design. Rashida planned her next moves carefully. While easing out of her corporate job, she went back to school for interior design and began connecting with her first clients. She even made her first hire a full year before exiting her day job. I wanted to talk to her about what it takes to execute a major career pivot, from setting up the business and leaning into the role of entrepreneur to doing the mindset work needed to successfully make the shift. What does the design business look like in that sort of nights and weekends and spare time space? How do you make that work? Yeah, I will say I was very upfront with my clients, you know, kind of at the early part of each design project um, with sharing and even in my marketing with sharing that this was a second career and that I was uh, still kind of working full time in a corporate position. So our clients knew right away what our availability was. And so my life was 8.30 to 5.30 corporate career, six until nine family, children, housework, and then nine until 12, one, sometimes two, design work. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so, yeah, I did not sleep um, (laughs) for those three years. I'm still catching up on sleep now, but (laughs) you know, you always have this idea that once you become full-time, you'll have so much more time in your day. And that is far from the truth because (laughs) now I'm like, fully CEO during the day, which means I'm managing my team and I'm site visits and showroom visits and all those things that keep me out of the office. And then the evening is when I'm doing like the technical work, the designing and all those things I need where it's quiet and I can focus. So to answer your question, It was pretty much like life is now, but (laughs) instead of having a corporate job during the day and building a design firm at night, it's CEO during the day now (laughs) and design work in the evening. So you have a team now. Yeah. What was the timeline of, 
you know, starting this design business, making that design business your full-time job and establishing a team to support you as you do it. Yep. So I started Grace Base in 2016. So six years ago in February, I made my first hire in January of 2018. So two years in, I left my full-time job in May of 2019. So I made my first hire while I still had the security of my corporate salary. That's brilliant. (laughs) Thank you. You know, in that case, I didn't need to pay myself if the business didn't make the money it needed. I could focus on taking care of the person I hired first and then building the business and putting any money that the business earned back into the business to continue to build it. And then once that was secure enough, and then I could replace my salary is when I felt okay to leave my corporate job. What was that role you were hiring for? You know, I might have done it a bit differently, but I will tell you my first hire was for a project manager. Essentially, it's an operations role. And that person is still with me to this day. So you did it right. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know, a lot of, I think people say either your first hire should be a bookkeeper. So that's what I meant by saying I should have done it differently because I just kind of brought a bookkeeper in um, within the last year or so. So you've been doing that yourself? Well, yes and no. (laughs) Um, No, we've always had a family accountant. My business was a lot smaller at the time. And so uh, my accountant helped out here and there, but really uh, didn't do the level of bookkeeping work that I need now. So a year ago, I realized I need a little bit more than what I had in place. And so I brought on the bookkeeper. But yeah, my first hire was uh, operations manager, essentially a project manager. And um, she actually came to me to be her mentor. And my response to her once I met with her was, yes, I, you know, would love to be your mentor, but would you like a job? Because I was, <laughs> I was so impressed by her. And I, at that time, realized that I needed help to keep things growing. How did you make that work? What did your business look like having an employee who's working like all day when you aren't really available to them? Well, the beauty of it is she and I were in the same boat. So um, she is also a second career designer. Her background is also in business as well. So she at the time was working in banking during the day and picking up a few classes. She also has an undergrad degree in business. So she was picking up a few classes in interior design at a local community college. So her time was just as limited. And so um, we both worked nights and weekends. And then I was at this point, I was 15 years almost into my corporate career. And so I was able to do a bit of negotiating with my manager and boss at the time so that I could have, you know, one or two days a week where I'm working, um, you know, half time virtually, half time off. And so my schedule was a little bit more flexible And I negotiated that with my company um, to kind of do some of the work required during the day to build a design firm. So yeah, she, she was in the same boat. That's amazing. Yeah. Like one of the challenges that I had early on was embracing my inexperience. So as a second career designer, there's always this worry or thought that 
you don't have the experience necessary to be amazing in the industry. But I had to lean into what I was great at and like really make that my competitive advantage. So while I don't have a formal education in interior design or many years working under another design firm, I do have a master's level education in business. I do have marketing experience for big, big corporations that I can kind of scale down to my small business. So yeah, it's very um, interesting when you make that transition um, or you are going into embarking into a second career as a designer, just like um, getting over that hurdle of not having the technical experience and embracing what makes you unique and what makes you interesting in the industry. When you kind of went all in, when you said, you know, this is going to be my full-time, you know, this is my 6.30 to 2am job now. (laughs) Yes. What changed for you? How did your relationship with your clients change? How did the work change? Like, what was that transition like? Oh, very good question. It is a really big transition. I don't know is talked about enough. So I'm excited to kind of share a little (laughs) transparency in that. Yeah. Um, So I thought I did all the things. I thought I did everything that I needed to do to prepare. You know, financially, I I had savings and was able to replace my corporate salary. And I had a business coach and I did some mindset shifting and all of those things. I think experience is the best teacher. So you can prepare as much as possible, but there will always be a thing or two or a challenge or two along the transition. And for me, that challenge was time management. I still found myself to operate in the same way as if I had a corporate job. And so I was still working. I still do to this day. It's it's tailored back a bit, but I was still working nights and weekends. And then the other part of it was learning to prioritize the things that needs to be done. Um, you know, when you work for someone else, there's a priority list and they kind of dictate, you know, how your day is going to look and the things that need to get done. But as an entrepreneur, you have to decide what are those revenue generating things that I have to focus on? Like, there's no one telling you how to run your day. Did it feel different once you weren't kind of cramming it into a tight time frame? It did. But it also opened up doors to other opportunities of things that needed to happen now that my business was maturing from like this side hustle to a full-time business. So it just opened the floodgates of like next steps to go from this like toddler level to this young adult level. And it was kind of hard to determine like, okay, there's only so many hours in a day. What's priority? What do I need to do? Yeah, so it, it did helped to not have to cram it all, but it also gave me a ton more on the to-do list that I needed to figure out how to prioritize. What are some of those things that you can't really say yes to until you've got kind of a little bit the luxury of time, I guess? Yeah, I should say having the time is misleading, but having, (laughs) I guess, (laughs) yeah, having the ability to take on additional things um, and to grow the business even further For me, that would go from accepting maybe 
a press opportunity or a television opportunity. I recall maybe the last few months that I was in corporate or my full-time job where I had to say no to appearing on local TV because I just thought even if I do take personal time off, it doesn't look great for my boss to like see me on television where, you know, I mean, it's my time, but, you know, I had to make that decision. So going full-time, I was able to say yes to more of those opportunities Going full-time, I think also just kind of opened me up to say yes to larger projects. I think part of me working in corporate and having two jobs just kind of felt as if we didn't have the capacity to take on the larger projects. And so going full-time allowed for that. And then just kind of growing the business, like becoming or growing into this role of CEO. Um, So I was able to look for and hire a bookkeeper look for and identify any gaps in our business and then make the second hire that I made to fulfill that. Um, So just like growing the business on the CEO side, opening myself up to press opportunities, and then finally saying yes to larger projects. How did your relationship with your clients change as you took on those bigger projects? I think we became less transactional and more relationship oriented. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I almost operated like a designer who was solely focused on e-design. And so when we were able to go full time, we were able to take on the larger projects that allowed us to first build the relationship with the client. Um, And so it was less virtual meetings and emails, which can become a little impersonal um, and more of in-person meetings really being able to kind of see and fill the space, spend more time, more touch points on projects. It was very transactional when I did both. Um, When I worked in my corporate job, it was, you know, I probably saw the client once during the consultation, perhaps one other time before the install, and that was it. There weren't many site visits. There weren't uh, many projects with construction involved. And so now we're able to really be on site, um, get to know the client and their family, spend time and build relationships with our tradespeople. Um, So yeah, the relationship changed to more personable uh, and more relationship oriented than transactional in the past. Was that something you were looking for or did that surprise you? No, you wanted that. I did want that. I think I realized once the desire was to have larger projects or bigger projects that I had to have that be a part of the business model. And so in the midst of it, while building the business and working part-time in the business, did I miss it? No. But when I started to think about how to grow the business and how to attract the larger clientele, I knew that we needed more touch points and it had to be a bit more personable. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you were you know, working with a coach and doing some mindset work to kind of prepare for... Yeah running this business. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So I had the pleasure of working with uh, Kim Cutable of Me by Design. And we focused really on two or three areas. One was marketing and visibility. And for me, that's an innate skill set based off my (laughs) past experience. But the other part of the mastermind was of course, business processes and things like that and operations. But the last part was mindset. And I identified during the year-long mastermind that I 
allowed my money story to become my client's money story. Um, so when I started the business, I was in my early 30s and, you know, you're raising children and there isn't much disposable income at that point. And so I would say, you know, before the client even responded, I would talk about budget and I would kind of talk them and myself out of the higher quality or the better design selection. I would say, you know, I know this is more expensive, but And so going through the mastermind, I realized that I shouldn't allow what I feel about money to dictate what my client's money story is. And so you learn to listen more and talk less and really just kind of focus more on the value as opposed to the dollar amount in the budget conversation. And then also have the budget conversation early on in the process so that it's, uh, you know, something that isn't inhibiting later on. How do you talk about money? And when do you talk about money with new clients today? I talk about it in this third conversation. So um, our process is essentially a discovery call early on, 15 minutes, hop on the phone, determine if it's a project that works on both ends for both myself and the client. The next conversation is the in-person consultation meeting. And during that meeting, while walking through the home and kind of talking about all the things, I'm essentially making an inventory list of um, the materials and the furniture and all those things that need to be a part of the process. And from that, I give the clients a budget guide based off of that for good, better, and best. So it's the third conversation that we have when I'm presenting the design proposal but it's very early on. It's before anyone signs a contract and it's very clear. I always kind of haphazardly or just really um, quickly say to clients or potential clients, I like to have the money conversation up front so that we can get it out of the way and that we can allow the creativity to kind of flow and not be impeded by it. So I am a budget stickler. You know, once the budget (laughs) is set, we try our best to stay within that. Um, but we have it early on to ensure we have a very clear scope of work before we begin the project. Is that in-person consultation, is that something you charge for? Yes, we do. And I've raised the cost of it two times this year because demand (laughs) is out of this world this year compared in last year. And so, um, you know, the market is allowing us to do that. But yes, we do charge. Is that, is that a change you made or has that always been your model? It's always been my model, actually. Now, the very first consultation six years ago probably was 75 bucks, but I did charge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did charge for time and, you know, it was gas money at the time, but yeah. And, and now we're at 450. So um, it is something that we do charge for. How does that set the tone with a client relationship? I mean, is that. Is that an important piece of it for you? Yeah, um, I think I decided at the very beginning to charge to make the most use of my time or my team's time and ensure that I'm attracting the right potential clients. I think it just kind of establishes a sense of, oh, what's the word? I mean, respect is the one yeah. that comes to mind for me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and that, you know, your time is valuable and our time is valuable. So initially, I reimbursed 
the client, if they became a client, I I actually reimbursed the consultation fee. I stopped doing that about two years ago, probably shortly after my coaching program. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Uh, money was definitely a lot, a topic of conversation for me in that process. But yeah, um, it does establish a sense of respect and it helps with the tire kickers. I do a lot of marketing on Instagram and social media. And so um, I just think charging for a consultation for any expert's time is important, no matter the industry you're in. Mm -hmm. Once you've done that consult and you have that good, better, best budget. Yeah. I love that. I love that you let the shopping list sort of dictate what your client is going to spend. How does that presentation or that conversation go? So uh, we usually, especially now during COVID, we'll hop on the a video call and it's about a 30 minute call and I'm presenting the design contract, but the budget as well. And so we'll just kind of walk through room by room based on our experience. Here are the pieces of furniture um, that we expect to have in your space. Of course, as we dig deeper into the process, we may kind of make some adjustments here and there. It gets a little complex when we get to construction projects, um, but we kind of sort of ballpark a per you know per square foot allowance for flooring and other materials like that and tile. But yeah, it's it's walking through that black and white spreadsheet. It's just it's it's on an Excel spreadsheet, maybe a little old school, and we're walking through it line by line so they can visually see it. I just think presenting clients with that breakdown helps with the shock value or the sticker value at the end. Um, Because after almost every single presentation call I have, the client says to me, I understand the budget. It's higher than I thought, but I understand it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I understand the breakdown. It's very clear. And they say the same thing about our design fee because that inventory list is the jumping off point for calculating design fees in our firm. And so I'll run through that list after creating it before presenting to the client. And I'll say, okay, it's going to take me a half an hour to source this, an hour to source that. It'll take my install team an hour to install this. And so I'll calculate total hours for the project. And so by the time we walk through that black and white inventory list that may be 100 rows on Excel, um, they understand how we arrive to our total budget for materials or furniture, as well as total design fee. I love the way you're, you know, putting your design fee, kind of attaching it to things in a tangible way so that clients understand it. Yeah. Do you bill off of that estimate then or off of actual time spent? Or, and how do you account for like that, like, oh, it took me five hours to find the perfect thing, like rabbit hole? I definitely bill on a flat fee basis. And so the proposal that we present to them early on, barring any scope of work changes, is what the job will cost them for the entire um, length of the project. Got it. So those those estimates are more like explaining what the flat fee means than actually. Yes. Got it. Yep. As you know, right now in our industry, our projects are taken so much longer than they have in the past. And so we're spending a few more hours on projects than we would have two years ago. Um, So as I prepare for 2022, I'm taking that into account with uh, the way that we um, kind of determine our flat design fee. 
But I think it's a give or take. You know, there's some times where you find the perfect sofa and half the time that you expect it to. And there are times where it just takes a little bit longer to get it just right. But if there's no change in scope of work, then um, we don't do any additional billing. We just stick with the initial proposal presented to the client. We're taking a quick break to remind you of the best way to keep up with Business of Home. Our membership community, BOH Insiders, offers access to experts, editors, and members-only events, as well as discounts, partner perks, a free directory listing, entrance to our annual Future of Home conference, and so much more. Join hundreds of like-minded designers and become a BOH Insider today by visiting businessofhome.com slash bohinsider. And now, back to the show. What does your team look like today? So our team today consists of four. Um, uh, We're still a small business. So um, I would say most of my responsibilities include kind of growing the business. So marketing, business development, uh, onboarding, um, those kinds of things. Of course, accounting with the help of the bookkeeper that we now have on board. And then I am principal designer. And so I do our larger kind of um, larger scope projects um, with the help of our assistant. Um, So yeah, my role is mostly marketing business development, which includes onboarding, you know, finding clients um, and going through that process. All the other CEO things like invoicing and um, doing all the networking and press and all those great things. Um, But I also still design, which I don't think I will ever let go of, at least worst case on an editing basis. So I still serve as principal designer and I tackle most of our larger projects. Um, So that's my role. Uh, My first hire, she's our project manager. She serves as a junior designer role, mostly within the tech side of it. And so she's our CAD expert um, and she also is our procurement specialist. So kind of all things operations. Um, And then we have a junior designer who focuses mostly on design work. And then our last hire is our assistant who assists across the board. Um, But she also does a lot of back office work with website management, client experience, so ordering gifts, those kinds of things. Um, Yeah, so it's kind of how our team is segmented. We all do design work and then we tackle special projects Mines is really marketing, accounting focus, our operations person, um, and then our tech person. So as you've navigated, you know, especially these crazy last two years, how have you been thinking about growth or what is your, and as you move sort of into that, you know, as you said, CEO role, what is your vision for the company? Yeah. um, As I think about growth and the future for Grace Base, I currently really am focused on becoming exceptional at what we do. So fine-tuning our processes, attracting larger projects and more ideal clients. And so our mantra for next year is right projects, right processes. Mm, Um, I like that. Yeah. So immediate future is to really continue to grow with the projects that we love to work on the most. Really our sweet spot right now is projects that involve 
construction with maybe two or three trades and furnishings, multiple rooms where our clients just allow us to be as creative as possible. Um, So we're focusing on those right projects. And as I look beyond like immediate future next year, we're working on moving into, we're all virtually based right now, which worked out really well during COVID. But for me, and it could be the old school corporate gal in me, I'm not sure, but I really have a desire for us to all be in one space. Um, And so we're planning to begin the process of securing what we call headquarters. And it'll be a place where I mentioned my husband's a contractor. And so it'll be a place where his team and my team kind of coexist. And so who knows what that will evolve into, but moving into kind of a headquarters office space. And then we want to continue to grow the brand. So um, I love the idea of still having my hand on the design aspect of our business or the pulse of the design um, within our business, but being able to take on other avenues within design, perhaps licensing on the furniture side of things, perhaps additional press opportunities and television opportunities. It's a little scary to put those things into the atmosphere, but, (laughs) um, you know, just being visionary and thinking, you know, what our business looks like three years from now and five years from now. So I love to continue to evolve into the role of CEO and um, explore those other avenues. Your husband's business and his kind of work as a contractor, how much has that (laughs) overlapped with what you're working on? And is there a world where those two things really collide? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My husband venturing into the contracting world started from a combination of a need that we have within Grayspace and a need that we have within what's now my new side hustle, which is real estate investing. Um, So he and I both enjoyed as what we thought was a hobby, um, doing DIY renovation projects around our home. And uh, we thought, let's broaden our investment portfolio and kind of dibble and dabble in real estate. And so we launched our real estate development company in 2017. And during the pandemic, my husband said, well, you know, maybe I'll study to become a GC myself. And so he had a little bit of extra time on his hands and obtained his general contracting license so that we can pull our own permits for our real estate uh, development projects. And we live in a part of the country in the Northeast where most of our homes are older. So most of my design projects involve some sort of renovation. Um, And so I, I knew there was a need in order to grow my business to have renovation be a part of our business model. But I had a gap with contractors and tradespeople that I could trust. And so I kind of tapped my husband and said, I know you've gotten your license to GCR real estate development projects, but would you be interested in working on a project or two for Grayspace? So yeah, <laughs> that was about a year ago. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we've since done, I think we're at like five projects together now. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a relief to have a contractor that I can work with that we trust wholeheartedly and we know will do an amazing job on our projects. So. I'm going to pivot really hard for a second. Awesome. As you look back, what are some of the moments that have tested you as an entrepreneur and business owner the most? (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, I remember 
maybe this was my second year of business. I had a client who threatened to take legal action. And then about three days later, they apologized. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Does that mean they called their lawyer and their lawyer was like, that's not real? They're I just think unreasonable. that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Okay. But that was such a lesson. Essentially, we presented the design proposal. They accepted verbally in the midst of doing five other things that they were doing during that virtual presentation call. And we did the install and they said, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like that. And we were like, wait, but you agreed. And so after any of those challenging situations come up, I immediately go to our contract and make changes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I immediately go back and say to myself, what could we have done to make sure that this doesn't happen in the future? And so from that early lesson, we, you know, kind of made a more formal design approval process. Um, So we use like a system that requires a signature. Um, So I've learned early on that this is a people business. Yes. And that relationships matter and learn so much about yourself. You learn so much about people and interpersonal skills and all of that. So those are some of my big lessons early on were around people. Do you look for clients differently after that job? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of things. We have a, a little bit of like a gatekeeping system, if you will, before clients can really even hop on a discovery call with me. So there's an online questionnaire that they have to complete that's probably five or six pages. And I always say it it should take about 15 minutes to complete. But if someone says to me, I don't have time to do that. I'm just like, uh, you're, this is a somewhat of a partnership in this process. And so I want to make sure that the client is invested as much as we are, not just on a financial side, but in terms of um, time and, and really fleshing out, what they're looking for um, in terms of a design project. So yeah, there's a little bit of barriers to entry that we've put in place now as a result of the types of clients that we would like to attract in the process. What is one thing you wish you had known from the get-go before you ever entered the design industry? There's a couple of things that come to mind. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would say what I wished I would have known before uh, getting into the business is that I didn't have to take every single project that came our way. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say at least the first two years, um, I took on almost everything that got through our very minimal gate that we had up (laughs) online. Um, And I think it was almost operating from a sense of scarcity, which is interesting because I still worked in a corporate job, but it was like, well, I don't know when the next project is going to come along. And so You know, I said yes to very small projects with very small budgets and quickly realized that I work almost as hard, probably harder on the smaller budget projects because it takes a bit more resourcefulness. Um, I always remember what my mentor, um, Cheryl Luckett of Dwell by Cheryl, um, we're we're now, you know, kind of more like friends at this point, but... (laughs) Um, she's been my mentor, my design mentor since I started. And she's always said to me, I always complain, I'm so busy and, you know, it's so hard to keep up. And, and she's like, you, 
you need to charge more. You need to be a bit more selective in the projects that you're um, working on. And so um, I wish I would have done that from the start. Maybe I would have learned, um, you know, some of those projects were lessons learned and things that I had to learn the hard way. So I'm not, everything happens for a reason. So I'm not saying they shouldn't have happened, but it might've saved me a lot of stress, a lot of headache (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of hard lessons. If Mm -hmm. I would have been a bit more selective at the beginning of our, um, beginning of my design career, as opposed to kind of getting to that point now. The other lesson I think is being a principal designer or owning a design firm is about 80% business and 20% design work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's not even an exaggeration. I mean, I, I get so like excited when I get to sit down and do design work now because (laughs) it's like a, it's a rarity um, because, you know, we're growing and we're fine tuning and we're, I want to make the best client experience for my clients. I want to, um, make sure we have the right people and the right seats on on this bus that we call gray space and so i'm highly focused on growing the firm i'm highly focused on um, process improvement and and all of those things and so um when i get to sit down it's like a treat like it's almost like a glass of wine when i get to sit down and design it's like yes i'm i'm you know i miss it a little bit so um, yeah, it is a lot of business, and I'm so grateful for my background in business because I didn't realize how handy it would be, and it's less design work than I expected, but still all good. What does success look like for you? I would say at this point in my life, um, success looks like healthy balance. I spent the last five years like head down, all in to building a design firm into building gray space. And so as I kind of embark on this like gray space 2.0 or, you know, young adult phase of our business, I really strive to find a healthy balance in working in a way that it doesn't consume my entire life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm a mother. And so as my children get older, it's really important for me to make sure that I am balancing my time. It's really tough because as a creative and as someone who's passionate about their work, it's hard for us to kind of pull away from work, but it is something that I am uh, striving to find balance within. Amazing. This has been so incredible. Thank you so, so much, truly. Thank you. This has been really, really great. I really enjoy talking with you. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, if you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, hear more great podcasts, check out new products, or browse job openings, head on over to businessofhome.com. If you have a note for the show or a story of your own to share, I'd love to hear from you. And you can email me at tradetales at businessofhome.com. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others discover the show. Trade Tales is produced by me, Caitlin Peterson, and Fred Nicolaus. This episode was edited by Caroline Burke and Michael Castaneda. Our theme music is by Kyle Scott Wilson. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in two weeks.